Welcome to episode 20 of the AFT Construction Podcast. And we're super excited today to have on Kevin Costello from The Ranch Mine. And he and his wife own an architectural firm here in Phoenix. And we wanted to bring him on because we spoke about being a small business, and especially if you're a little younger, you know, how can you build that brand, whether you're an architect, designer, contractor, to start competing and build a name and a brand for yourself. And a little background on Kevin. So he's the principal architect at The Ranch Mine that he and his wife co-founded. Uh, they specialize in designing homes that root you in your community, provoke curiosity and exploration. Uh, some of their unique designs have honored them some great awards, including HGTV's Designer of the Year in 2019 for the Red Rock Project and the National AIA, naming them the Future Architect in 2015. And they've built a national brand by being featured in Architectural Record, Dwell, Lux, Architectural Digest Russia, and Casa Vogue. So definitely stay tuned and enjoy this discussion with Kevin. Welcome to the AT Construction Podcast. Today we are excited to have our principal architect, Kevin Costello with Ranch Mine. Welcome. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Brad. So we had to bring on Kevin because for any of you uh, on social media that follow him, he has these mesmerizing projects, him and his wife. And we'll get into kind of their, their dynamic there in their firm. Um, but we want to kick this off. So Kevin, you've worked on some amazing new build mm-hmm. as well as remodel projects. So what should a homeowner understand uh, when they're looking to uh, do a remodel? I think the first thing that a homeowner has to do is adjust their expectations. With a remodel, you have a lot more limits than you do with a new build. Um, you can still have amazing, an amazing house and an amazing uh, place to live, but you really have to be a little bit more flexible with a remodel because you're not going to get everything that you might want. You have to give a little, but you might get a little bit more as well. So what, what are some of the pros then? I mean, if they're doing a remodel and they're having to give up a few things, I mean, why would some people maybe want to go after a remodel? Well, it's quicker in the permitting process. Uh, you can avoid certain things like grading and drainage plans and some of that stuff that might add time and money to the process. The other element is you might get a more interesting design because there's inherent character in, in what you're working with. When you're working from scratch, um, certain ideas tend to dominate the discussion. When you're working with something that's existing, you have to work around it, and sometimes more creative uh, possibilities come out of those. So do you find that more enticing for you as an architect, someone who has a creative mind? Do you enjoy working with parameters like that where you have to really th- you know, think about the, the whole process and building? Yeah, I think so. Um, we enjoy both uh, because I think there are a lot of parameters in new builds as well based on the site and the budget and uh, the jurisdiction that you're working in and so forth. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's fun to go back and forth between them because I think doing all of one or all of the other can, can get a little stale, so it's nice to, to do a little bit of both. And, and you kind of alluded to this. I think one of the advantages, you know, for those listening, if you're thinking about doing a remodel, as you mentioned time, right? Mm-hmm. So normally with a build, you're going to have a lot of pre-construction time. Typically on a new build, you're, what, six to eight months? Yeah. To more or less yep. to, mm-hmm. to permit? I for mean, sure. or at least a city submittal. Right. Whereas how long is it taking you on a remodel? Well, if the homeowners can respond quickly to design, <laughs> I mean, that's always the, the variable, right? right? Yeah. Is if it takes one day or five days to respond to each email, then that's going to change it. But I, I would say at the quickest, you're probably for a whole house remodel at three months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say standard probably four uh, for that. So it, it really depends on how much you're doing. And we're talking like whole house remodels, not, you know, a kitchen or a bathroom or those totally sort different. of things are totally different. And some of those could be over-the-counter permits. Exactly, on exactly. So, so on a substantial remodel, as you mentioned, I mean, not only do you have the time of pre-construction planning and mm-hmm. with design, but from a con- construction side, right, you're not having, if, if you're scraping it down even to a few walls, you're not repouring a slats, right? You're not, uh, so, so really, I mean, once Underground, you do, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, so once you're doing demo, mm-hmm. which takes, you know, maybe a week to get there, uh, essentially you can have lumber dropped yep. in order to go vertical, which saves you, I know from our side, depending on the complexity of the lot, right, mm-hmm. or hillside or whatever, you know, you can save another, uh, you know, six weeks to six months, right. right, to get to that point. And I think the design process is quicker because there are usually less possible solutions. With a new build on, let's just say, a flat lot, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes is sort of this uh, decision, uh, sort of, uh, nobody can really make decisions uh, because it's like, well, what if we did this, right? There's always that what if. With the remodel, you sort of have a little bit more parameters so you can focus the design discussion a lot earlier. Um, and I think that's really what makes it go quicker than, than a new build. So do you ever find, you know, do customers maybe want to do a full scrape in lieu of doing a remodel? I mean, does that come up pretty often in your discussions? Um, we've done a few full scrapes, um, but let's just say I think we've done to date 120, 130 projects. 
five, maybe, for full scrapes. So it, it's much more rare uh, to do a full scrape than, uh, than a remodel or just a new build on an infill lot. Or, and do you or find a specific reason why those five people maybe chose to do a full scrape in lieu of doing a remodel? Uh, a few of the times the house was uh, in just a terrible position on the lot. So, you know, back in the day when it was much more suburban or rural even, uh, they put the house sort of in the middle of the lot or in the back of the lot, and it just wasn't conducive to the sort of lifestyles, which nowadays is more backyard living, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, you couldn't do that much. You were sort of wasting a good portion of your lot based on the location. The other ones were really, there's one that was just black mold everywhere in the house, failing infrastructure. There's a lot of like, that's more typically the problem is you look at the house and, you know, people always say like they don't build them like they used to. And in Phoenix, I found that's good yeah. <laughs> because the, the building stock, although there's some character to the old homes, the quality of the builds were not very good. Um, and so, you know, sometimes it's just not, not worth saving them. I, I will agree with you on that sense. It's funny. I, I network with a lot of contractors and architects throughout the country, right? And in some of these markets, you know, in the Northeast, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of character, historic homes, and the bones are amazing, mm-hmm. right? These are things that have lasted a long time. Whereas in Phoenix, these homes built, especially if you're in, uh, and you're not working on an estate, maybe you're in production areas, you know, in the 80s, 90s, I mean, the construction was horrible. Yeah. Like, Windows put in, not flashed, mm-hmm. you know, leaking. Oh, for and sure. So I'm sure you're no seeing insulation. No insulation. I mean, we work a lot in the central city, Phoenix, and it's historic homes and then homes that were built in that post-war boom. Yeah. The post-war, uh, post-war boom, they were just throwing them up, you know, hundreds of thousands of homes. And they're just, you can tell. And, uh, and even historic homes, you know, we go in there and it's, um, you know, the, the quality of the construction is just not what it is. You know, I grew up in the East Coast. It's, it's just way different. It, it is different there. And I, th- and I wonder... I don't wonder, but sometimes I think, you know, they can get away with it to some extent because mm-hmm. it's dry, right? Correct. We yeah. don't have a ton of moisture. It's not a, you know, it's not a moldy climate. So some much build, wind. Yeah. yeah. So there's some building practices that they could get away from or haven't, you know, shown the full effect. Whereas if they were in a wet climate in, in the Northwest or right. Northeast, you know, they'd be, be in big trouble. Be down by now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so going back to that, I mean, yeah. you, you alluded to um, today's lifestyle, right? So you're talking mm-hmm. about, well... The, the times we've done the scrapes are when the, you know, the house is not conducive to the lot position, mm-hmm. right, and where it lays out. So how has, you know, when you're working in a remodel in those mm-hmm. confines and everyone wants indoor-outdoor living, mm-hmm. they want big, great rooms, you know, kitchen, entertaining areas, big sliders. So how does that limit or how have you worked around those challenges, you know, when you're doing a remodel, it's not a full scrape? Yeah. We've done front additions before. Um, and define that. What do you mean by front addition? So basically, in a, typically when people think addition, they think to the side or the rear of their house. Uh, but if the house is further enough back on the lot, you can do you can go forward basically. So adding an addition to the front of the house, and that's actually the easiest way to change your curb appeal um, and change sort of the function and flow of the house. Uh, so we've done that before. Um, the other opportunity is bedrooms haven't changed in a very very long time. So keeping a large part of those. The good thing about a lot of the old homes here is it is simply, here's the bedroom wing and here's the living wing. Uh, so saving a lot of money and keeping the bedroom wing roughly the same, you know, modifying maybe the master suite bathroom because those have changed significantly and really spending the money on the sort of kitchen, living, dining, indoor, outdoor flow areas of the house and opening those up a lot more. So I, that's something we've seen. I mean, you know, looking at, at homes, even in the new homes, we do a lot of the clients, they don't want big bedrooms where their kids will go and just hang out, right? They want right. smaller rooms so they're more enticed to come out to the great room areas um, but we do see especially on remodels right you're going to take that master wing that was normally a lot smaller and blow that out mm-hmm. totally new so so that's what you're leading to so right. are you consulting with your clients you know when they come in are they asking you hey bang for the buck where should we put our dollars how are you helping them through that mindset? yeah yeah typically we do that and we do that as sort of a, a large thing not a really a nickel and dime sort of thing because that's really up to you guys you know general contractors know what every, bad guys. everything costs <laughs> <laughs> We give them the bad news. You give yeah. them this amazing the vision, vision, and yeah. then we give them the bad news. Right. right? So we, we talk on you know large level. What where's we often talk more in terms of value than than you know in pennies and that sort of stuff. So it's right. it's really you know you can add a lot more value doing it this way. This doesn't really add a lot of value. It's a lot more work for what you're going to get for it. So, um, but yeah, I think and typically what we do in a remodel is the former master bedroom is just becomes a normal bedroom, and then you add the master bedroom on with the you know, the kitchen, living, dining situation so that it has the higher ceilings, it has the more, you know, up-to-date plumbing, insulation, all that sort of stuff, because that's typically, 
we're going to get back from and more people want split floor plans now so you have sort of the kids bedroom wing over with which which is the traditional bedrooms and mm-hmm. then, you know do the kitchen and dining in the middle and then you have the bed master on the other side and that's sort of a, a way to get around keeping uh, a good portion of the house which we've seen that a lot too it's it's the split split level in that sense where you're dividing you know parents from kids yep. and a great room entertaining in the middle indoor outdoor living i mean are you seeing any other trends you know that you're seeing a lot more of um i mean that's Primarily it, obviously the indoor outdoor living is huge. Um, in our houses, we're, we try to do a lot of courtyard style houses mm-hmm. uh, because Phoenix is urbanizing incredibly quickly. Um, and courtyard houses are great for two things, which is one, living in the desert, and two, living in an urban place because you're basically providing the houses becoming walls to the urban uh, area. So you're creating sort of private, uh, controlled outdoor living spaces with the shape of the house. So that's something that we've been doing for a few years now, and uh, more people seem to be uh, interested in that sort of house. And, and are those courtyards, are they more designed as greenery spaces, you know, with windows to bring that natural light in? Are they designed as, you know, meditation areas, yoga areas, or do you know, just have a, you know, a drink, you know, mm-hmm. in the evening? I mean, what are you seeing more as far as the theme go? It's a little bit of everything. So we've done, you know, L-shaped houses with detached garages to create sort of a C. We've done C-shaped houses, U-shaped houses, O's with a, you know, complete sort of surrounded thing. So it really depends on the lot, the size that we have to deal with. Um, There's a variety of factors, but it's been, you know, like you said, there's been meditation type spaces. There's uh, the pool is often the central uh, area of the courtyard um, in a lot of the places that we do on these urban lots because it's really, there's not much outdoor space. Um, and putting the pool in the middle is sort of nice to be able to walk out from every every room to the pool area. Um, but it really depends on, on the house. So walk us through that process. You know, when, when a client comes in, how are you um, engaging with them to kind of understand their lifestyle and how they're living? And then, of course, putting that into, you know, practical sure. sense, right, as you're working through design. So before we even meet typically with a client, we send them a questionnaire that's, I think, six to eight pages. Oh, wow. Um, And we've developed this over the last decade um, in a way to really sort of figure out uh, why these homeowners want to do what they want to do. And that's the big thing for us is the why. If we can get to the motivation behind it, the rest comes relatively easily because people often will go to the surface level questions, sort of the you know, the what they want very quickly because that's easy. Uh, But if you can really narrow down to the motivation behind why they want this change, then it's a lot easier to make every decision down the road. And so our questionnaire is sort of designed around how do you get to that? Um, And it's not just like, we we have, of course, the standard questions of, you know, bed baths, Mm -hmm. your general scope kind of things. But then we want to go into what's your daily life like? You You know, what's the mission statement for your home? You know, questions that really challenge them to think. And it's... It's, the questionnaire is great for two reasons. One, it allows us to, to really get into what they're thinking, but it allows them to really question themselves and why they're doing this and have a husband and wife um, or a couple sort of sit down and ask themselves the hard questions before they even start the project and really before we even typically meet with them um, because they could use that really with any architect or builder. It's just a helpful thing to do. Um, and so that's something that we, um, we always start with, and that allows us to get really deep in really quickly. Um, and from there, um, if, if, if everything on there looks sort of right on with what we'd, we'd like to do, um, then we start the, the design process. So when a client comes in, and I'm sure a lot of them have their wish list, you know, they filled out the questionnaire. Yep. Um, you, you know, to some, to some extent as an architect, you want to have some vision. You want to make sure it looks good. You know, you want to have an imprint. How are you working with the different personalities and their opinions just to make sure that that is cohesive with what you want to see, at, you know, as an end result, as well as still work with what they're hoping to achieve, right? Sure. Um, I think, I mean, we do ask them for, you know, any inspirations that they have uh, stylistically early on. Um, but we don't really talk too much about that until we're really into the design. Uh, we like to start from sort of, we say that, you know, we're really looking at how do external forces shape the house, um, and it's more of sort of a scientific method of how we're going to, you know, the climate and, and the culture and those sort of things. And we really work big, and then we get down to the small details. And so their personal preferences don't really come in until we're already sort of into the design. So it's really, it's, it's sort of a, a big picture kind of thing early on, and then we get more and more detailed as we go through. And 
in that process, what it does is it refines the potential of the differences between, p potentially between the husband and the wife or, or the couple. Um, it, and, and, and it makes those selections a lot easier to make because there's a reason behind everything that's done. It's not just this looks good or this looks good because that's just completely subjective. If you can, if you can make it more uh, specific to there's two to three reasons behind every uh, move that we do with the design, um, then those, those answers become a lot easier. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, I mean, I know just your reputation, you know, that, you know, from the clients in the industry that you guys are really easy to work with, right? Which is advantageous because, um, you know, from architect or designer and even the contractor, a lot of clients, you know, their feedback is, well, I, I didn't want to pick this architect or designer, even this builder, because they're so opinionated, right? right. Like, it's almost like if, if I hire them, I'm going to have to do their style, right? whereas I want my own. Mm -hmm. And so how have you adapted, I guess, that part of the process? Because as an architect, you're a creator, right? You right. understand design. You know it's going to look good. Right. And if the client wants to take this tangent, you know, how do you kind of streamline them or, or reel them in a little bit? Mm -hmm. Well, ever since I was young, I've always just been fascinated with the differences between people. I, th I think everyone is incredibly interesting. Everyone has a unique life. And... Um, what we've done is we've created sort of an architectural process and then the inputs are just different. And so uh, it's both from the clients as well as the specific location of the site. And those two kind of come together. So honestly, like when I start a project, um, there are times when the client will be like, well, you know, what do you think it's going to look like? Do you have any ideas? I say no, because that's part of the process. Is it, it, In my opinion, if you go in with a preconceived notion, you're limiting the possibility and the potential of the, of the, of the project. Now, obviously, we are limited by budget. We're limited by materials. We're limited by, um, you know, codes and zoning and and so forth. So there are reasons that things are going to look a certain way, a certain way, mm -hmm. and somewhat similar overall, right? Because there's certain trades and certain all that kind of stuff. But we don't go in with, you know, we we want to do, uh, you know, a, a Dutch farmhouse here. You know, that's that's never in the in the conversation, it's what is the best way to express the way that these people in this family live on this specific site. And that's really our goal is to get, get really deep and figure out how can we sort of create a home that represents them and represents them in this specific location. Not like if we had the same clients in two different locations, the house would, would look completely different. And that's the input of, of the location. That's interesting. So I think that's important because we do have a lot of listeners, right, that um, you know that have a passion for construction, have a passion for archi architecture, but we also have some that are lay people, right, that haven't sure. built and aren't familiar. So that process as we walk them through, so if, my, if I'm understanding, you're, you're, you're kind of walking through their lifestyle and the layout and how things flow mm -hmm. um, from a top down, right, looking Correct. at how the house lays out. So, so a lot of those decisions have been made, a lot of the personality has been shown, and, and their lifestyle before you go vertical, before you start worrying about ceiling heights and Correct. exterior elevations. And then that's pretty easy because now it's just mirroring those two together. Right. Yeah. So it's a back and forth once you get to that phase, right? Because you're going to, you know, there are certain things that look better proportionally. Um, so you go back and forth. But we do start with the, the site plan first and, and then work our way into plan and then kind of work our way down. And then we start to go vertical. And it's sort of a back and forth at that point. Um, but we're really sort of choreographing, you know, uh, their day. Their life and that sort of stuff, and that's sort of the main focus. And then once we go from there, we start to it starts to take shape. So, and when you're sitting down with the clients, you know, budget is always coming to play, right? So mm -hmm. you have to have at least a reasonable idea of kind of what their hopes are, right? right? And, and mm -hmm. from a budget, and then are you just thinking through that process as you're designing? You know, at, to give an example, you know, in a lot of the homes you're probably working in, and we know about here in Phoenix, they have low ceilings, mm -hmm. right? So eight foot typically and we yeah. want the 10 12 14 16 foot so mm -hmm. to take off an entire truss system you know roof and rebuild it there's substantial costs there right. you know as we're moving footprints um so how are you working through or having that conversation with the client when they come in to, to at least get a good grasp of what they're hoping to spend so we're typically going off of you know estimates based on previous projects that we've completed that's typically how we work. Good database. Yeah, within mm -hmm. you know within the last year or two, and the, the difficulty lies in that construction prices, as you know, are going up and up. And up. <laughs> they are, and yeah. so it's very difficult to project. You know, from the start of design to the start of construction, that could be where are you going to be? It could be a year, right? And that could be a, a, a greatly different uh, price. Um, so we we go off rough sort of square footage type numbers, and we know roughly with what we sort of uh, do in in the limits of you know we're trying to reduce the amount of steel and that, and that sort of stuff. Uh, Anytime you have more steel, big overhangs, right? It's gonna increase, a, a, 
you know, greatly increase the cost of the project. Are, are there other elements there that you've seen that really change that cost? Steel's been the biggest one. Has been valued engineered out of almost every one of our, <laughs> our projects. You know, it's funny we tell our architects to less steel. Yes. So it's, <laughs> we're always going to glue lambs and trusses and that sort of stuff, and we've yeah. learned to work within the limits of of what those are and try to maximize mm -hmm. uh, what we can do with you know wood framing or, or simple stuff like that that anyone can execute, uh, but just do it in a new and unique way. Yeah, and we're doing ICF too, which yeah. which is a little bit different, so it's going to be different than the, than the steel. But we do have some designs, right, where they have big cantilevers and overhangs, or a lot of people at the multi-sliders, they want the corner slider that both open up. And so, you know, there's some cost when you're working through that design, and in most cases, you will have to use steel, right, just mm -hmm. to be thin enough, but yet handle that that structural integrity. Right. It's about limiting it and using it in the places that it needs to be, not using it just to use it. Just because, yeah. So have you found more success on your projects? Do you typically work just you and the client? Or are you trying to bring, well, well, before I ask this question, sure. let me ask this. Are you guys doing the interior design yourselves or are you typically working with an interior designer on your projects? We typically do the interior design. Uh, we do everything. Uh, we often typically do the landscape design as well. So we like to design. So you're doing everything. everything. So the full creative, and because you, you want to make sure that the interior, exterior, and of course, indoor, outdoor landscape is all mirroring each other. Correct. Yeah. So when we design from that very first meeting, you're seeing the, the landscape, the house, the interiors, everything. Um, and, uh, and that's interior sort of fixtures and finishes, not, you know, uh, furniture and, and that right. sort of stuff. But everything that's built into the house, uh, we design. So how are you taking that element from a soft furnishing side? You know, is that something that the clients are typically doing themselves? Clients typically do themselves. That out? Um, if, the, if the budget is high enough, then they'll hire someone to, mm -hmm. to, to help come and with do that. that. Um, but otherwise, uh, it's, it's client-driven, yeah. That's amazing. So how, you know, from a creative side, that there's a lot there to understand, okay, we're doing the whole architecture, we're doing the interior and the landscape. So where are you gathering a lot of this inspiration? Um, Good question. Um, I mean, because I will say, you know, for all of our listeners, you know, we're going to be tagging Kevin and his firm here. So you're going to see some of their incredible designs. They've done some amazing stuff. So very unique. Some of the things you have are very unique here to Phoenix, right? Mm -hmm. And it's very appealing. So that inspiration is coming from somewhere, right? Yeah. Well, first of all, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it comes from, I, I love to study history. Um, just always grew up going that way. Uh, got that sort of passion from my, from my dad. And basically, I love looking at uh, sort of uh, desert uh, climates uh, when we're working here. You know, when we, we've done jobs in other places and we really like elsewhere. But I love to look at the history of, you know, not only the desert here, but, you know, uh, North Africa, Middle East, those kind of places, and try to grab, you know, uh, inspiration from sort of larger contextual things rather than, you know, Unfortunately, there seems to be a large trend of people going on Pinterest and saying, right. <laughs> I like the look of this. Can you copy and paste this into my home? Yeah. We're trying to avoid that. Yeah. And, and the way to avoid that, I think, is to look at the past and figure out sort of what are tried and true methods, and then how do we update those with the technologies and the lifestyle that we have today? So that's sort of the, the balance that we're trying to strike is sort of a combination of, of history with doing something interesting and new with what's come before us. It's, it's great insight, great perspective. You know, yesterday I was meeting with a client of ours and we're looking at this design that they want to do and there was a home built in 1913 in Los Angeles, right? So not totally new, but at the same time, I mean, this is 110 years old and you look at it and it still looks timeless to the style that they want. And mm -hmm. that's, that's great application. So what you're doing is kind of resourcing and, and just getting a visual of things that have been tried in true methods and, you know, timeless that you can apply now in the modern desert landscape right. and then, you know, marry those two essentially. Yeah, it's, it's taking the history and then modifying it for the specific people, the clients, um, in this specific place, which is, you know, Phoenix or wherever in, in 2020. Um, and yeah, I think timeless is achieved when you can sort of marry, um, you know, I, oftentimes we'll be asked to be quoted in, you know, articles that are like, you know, what are the trends that are leaving this right. year? And what, yeah, I'm sure you get that all, all the, time. the time. And uh, one, I, like those articles, but two, <laughs> and they never use my quote because I don't play <laughs> along, but, um, uh, you know, you never see in those articles uh, fresh air, uh, natural light, um, the smell of, of the garden. Uh, there, are, there are elements that are timeless that everyone loves. So it's really about how can you incorporate those items into the design of the home because blue tile or whatever is going to be out or it's going to be in. But when you can take certain things that are, are timeless in nature that humans love and incorporate it in, into the house, 
that's when you start to approach a timeless design. Well, one thing you mentioned, my favorite, is natural light. You know, I've seen that it, it doesn't matter if it's a Mediterranean or Spanish. It doesn't matter if it's a Tuscan. It doesn't matter if it's a super modern, right? Any home that can integrate a lot of natural light, and you can still do a lot of windows and natural light that integrate with that design, you know, it, it's going to be more timeless because natural light, that's what everyone's fighting for, and no yeah. one wants to live in a cave. Right, exactly. I mean, and, you know, uh, in the U.S., I was reading a statistic recently that we spend roughly 90% of our time indoors. Mm -hmm. And that's, and it's causing a lot of stress and anxiety and a lot of other uh, psychological and, and physiological issues with who we are as humans because we weren't meant to do that. Um, and I think natural light, fresh air, all of these elements are something that we really need to incorporate back into the way that we live. If we are going to be spending time indoors, we need to change what our concept of indoors actually is. Um, and so that's really a push that we continue to try to do because yeah, like you said, it's it's just everyone enjoys it. Like no one's like boo natural light, right? Every, everyone's really into those common elements as humans that really excite us and, and make us. Uh, because anything that's uh, just sort of static, that is what it is. Like this chair is always going to be this chair. Um, we sort of as humans we get used to it and then we fall sort of away from it. Where you know it's when we first like it, you know you take a photo of it. Oh, I love this chair, right? But you take a, probably take, I would assume, a photo of a sunset once a month, right? And that's just, that's just the earth because it's changing, right? Everything is always constantly changing, and it still keeps you in awe, whereas something that's static or, or you know, a certain kind of tile, those kind of, they bring it's joy. It's replaceable. Yeah, they bring joy for a little bit amount of time, and then you sort of, it becomes the norm, and then over time you sort of, yeah, it's replaceable and you get used to it. So natural light, fresh air, nature, those elements are constantly changing, and that's why they um, are timeless. Well, it's kind of a... You know, uh, there's a pros and cons to Phoenix, right? As you're speaking about this, we talk about, well, natural light. Well, we're really beneficiaries of natural light, right? We have sun all the time in Arizona. Our homes are, for most of the year, great weather, so the indoor outdoor living. So it's really easy to create homes that um, not only perform energy efficiently now, but also are healthy and light and inspiring and not so stressful because, as you mentioned, 90% of our time's inside. But one of the drawbacks, too, well, I'll, I'll go back to that because mm -hmm. other climates, you know, you can't have these huge multi-sliders open all the time, right? right. It right. snows and, you know, in the winter you can't do that, whereas yes. here you can. Um, but the drawback we have is the summer, right? So right. we're dealing with this hot desert sun. It can be 115 degrees. Mm -hmm. So how are you taking the elements of Phoenix sunsets, you know, solstice when mm -hmm. you're looking at sun, where it's going to be hitting? How is that incorporated into your design, especially with more modern architecture? Sure. So, yeah, with a lot of glasses in the winter it's fantastic, in the summer you've got to protect that glass. Yep. Um, and so, obviously overhangs, where you put the glass on the building, um, you know, which elevation, if it's the north, south, No full west. glass walls, southwest, pointing southwest. Exactly, for <laughs> exactly, with no overhang or no trees yeah. in front. Um, and, and, you know, occasionally it's okay to have a window that might get hit with some direct sun, and, you know, it's the overall performance of, of the house, right? Um, I think people can often be scared away by a large amount of glass, but this is actually one of the better climates to do it in because you don't have the cold that really, you know, sort of affects it. They've done pretty good things with those little heat gain coefficients mm -hmm. and that, and, you know, sealing these windows and doors, and you do get that great benefit uh, from it. So I think there's just a and balance. shades and tin, and yeah, there's a lot of things. And trees, as you mentioned, you still get the natural light, but it, it, it protects some of that 4 or 5 p.m. sun right exactly. in the summer. So it, there's a lot of ways to, to get around it, so I don't think people should be frightened of it. And it's really also what we try to do is it may look like there's a ton of glass in some of our homes, but it's really just in select areas. The bedroom's pretty dark. So we like to have this sort of combination of there are sort of caves within your home, and then there are areas that feel like you're living outside because that's really what we want is we want a place that's secure, sort of our refuge spot, right? And then we want our places where we can, you know, go out and experience the world and be inspired and that sort of stuff. So it's a balance between the two. So rather than having, you know, every single room has, you know, 40 square feet of glass, you know, you do you know, 20 square feet of glass in, in a bunch of the rooms, and then you do 200 square feet of glass. And, you know, so it's, it's just sort of changing the proportion, the ratios, and providing different opportunities in the house throughout the day. And that's why I go back to the, how do you want to live your daily life? When we ask, you know, clients, and that's the reason why, is that we try to program. Sometimes when people wake up, they want to be woken up by the sun. Some people say, I don't even want the sun in my bedroom, right? <laughs> yeah. And so it's figuring it's out those things, and they can that. start to shape the house around those items. So going back to our earlier conversation, you know, you, when I was asking about, do you do the full design, what you do? So at what point do you try to bring a contractor in 
to kind of help maybe monitor that budget, work with the clients and make sure you're kind of on the same page? Is it typically at the beginning? Does it depend on project? How does that work? Depends on the pro uh, project. So we give the client the option. Uh, we say there are two ways that you can basically do it. One, we can bring them in in schematic design and they can, you can choose a contractor and they can follow us all the way through and help you know, monitor the budget and some people go that route. And then the other is at the end of construction documents, let's bid it out to three different contractors and and uh, see which one you want to work with. So it, it really depends on the client and their preferences. And, and for the most part, whether or not they have a contractor, at least you're giving them some insight and knowledge, you know, from your database, from costs, which is right. the most important part as you're working through design. Sure, yeah. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, you know, you and your wife, right, mm -hmm. are, are partners in the firm, I'd imagine, and you have a, a few employees. So how does that work, you know, with home life and work life and that, that balance? Uh, it's worked great thus far. Um, so we, my wife and I, Claire, we started this company back in 2010. Um, and are you from here, from Arizona, both of you? Uh, she's from Phoenix, grew up okay. in Phoenix. I'm from Connecticut. Um, so I moved out here after I got my master's degree, and uh, I moved out here in 2009. Uh, what did you study? In architecture. Okay. So I got my undergraduate and master's degree in architecture, and then I moved out here and was looking for a job in, at an architecture firm, and it was 2009. So... Uh, the best time to look for a job. <laughs> in the best place, right? <laughs> right. So, um, you know, most of the firms that I was looking at, they said, you know, look, not only are we not hiring now, but we've got, you know, five people who have worked for us for a long time that we're going to hire back first. So this could be years before there's a job that's open. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really a shock to my system when I moved out here. You know, I did everything right. I got, you know, my undergraduate, my master's. I had 24 months of working in architecture firm experience, you know, graduated top of my class, all that kind of stuff, couldn't get any anything, right? And not only that, but hey, it's gonna be three years before we're, we're hiring. We're looking, yeah. Um, and so, and then my wife was in a, in a similar case, she didn't study architecture, but she was in a similar case looking for work, and we just decided, well, let's try to do something ourselves. Let's, you know, rather than spend, you know, 10 hours a day, you know, knocking on other people's doors, let's spend that towards trying to create something ourselves. And so that's, when we decided to, to start our, our, our company. Um, and it was just us for the first, I don't know, let's say maybe six, seven years. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we hired a part-time employee, and then we hired a full-time employee, and then now we have two employees uh, working for us. And in terms of work-life balance, um, they're pretty integrated. Um, you know, we, we are very specific. We don't work after 5 p.m. We don't work on the weekends. Um, and we keep really strict to that. And you've been pretty good holding to that? Yeah. That's good. amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to credit my wife, Claire, with that because I was a little bit of a workaholic before. Uh, I better not let my wife listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, a few, you know, two, three years into early on when we were sort of grinding and we'd have meetings because a lot of people would want to meet after uh, they got off nights, of Nights, weekends, right, yeah. Exactly. Uh, we're like, well, we have no life. And this is not a great way to live. So how do you work on that? Because, you know, most clients, you know, if they're out of town or if they're, here working in a nine to five, like how are you, you know, setting that expectation with them? Um, we just set it right up front. And we, early on, it was one of those things where like, are we gonna lose clients? Are we gonna, is, uh, no one's had an issue with it. You know, when you go to the doctor's office, they have set hours. When you talk to a lawyer, they have set hours. Why shouldn't a contractor or architect have the same, um, you know, privileges that those um, professions have, right? So these are hours. You need to make the time to make it work. Um, you can, of course, think about it with your family or whatever after hours. Here's Dropbox of what we went over during our meeting. Think about it and come back to us through email or what have you. But if we're going to meet, it's going to be during work hours, not, you know, on our weekends, on our nights, you know, especially in, we could, probably could have, but now with, you know, an eight-month-old baby, that wouldn't have even been possible now. So I'm glad that we started that, you know, five, six years ago. Yeah, and set that precedent. Right. So most people, you know, entrepreneur lifestyle, either they're entrepreneurs by nature or sometimes by force of situation, sure. right? So, don't, I mean, you're probably a little bit of both, yeah. you know, so for anyone starting out, you know, because there's a lot of people in small business, right, they listen to this. So being a small business owner, being someone who's starting brand new with no resume, mm -hmm. let's just say not that you didn't have the experience, sure. but you didn't have the portfolio, right? Correct. No. So what did you do to start building that database, start building that? you know, a Rolodex, if you will. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I had worked at architecture firms for two years, but that was in the Northeast. I worked in Boston and, and Connecticut. Um, and so, yeah, we didn't have, I knew almost nobody here. Uh, Claire had a few people that she, she knew here just from growing up here, but um, nobody that was going to be hiring us. You know, right. They were all unemployed as well. 
So um, well, what we did was to get started was we, uh, I had worked for a few years full time, she had worked for a few years, uh, we bought a foreclosed home um, with, a, with a loan um, and we redid it ourselves. We figured out how to, you know, write a flooring demo, we did everything. So ourselves. you put some real sweat equity put in. sweat equity in because we had nothing else going on so we thought, you know, we've got time right now, we've got energy, we're 23 years old. Um, so let's just, just do it. And we put everything that we had into it. It was incredibly risky, but we thought at least we'll have a place to live. We got a home buyer credit from, uh, at the time there was a new home buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Remember that? Yep. And we got a roommate. And, oh, really? Uh, yep. And so we just funded it that way. And, um, and then I, uh, contacted, uh, the Arizona Republic, uh, and said, Hey, we just did this, this job. Uh, I don't know if you're looking for anything to publish. And they said, love your bathroom. Can we? Publish it in the paper and it was on the front page of the Arizona Republic. And then people started calling us. And at first it was bathrooms. And then we did a few of those and say, hey, maybe do our kitchen and then maybe do our great room and then maybe we do a full house remodel and then maybe we do an addition and then let's do a new build. And so that's how it went from there. So just one step at a time. It's pretty amazing. So when, when you were starting, when they were calling you, when they would ask you to do a bathroom and kitchen, a lot of that was probably interior design mostly, right? Mm-hmm. Not, a, not a ton of. Nope. Architecture, very little architecture, uh, mostly interior design, and uh, and then we had no systems in place. We didn't have contracts. <laughs> we didn't have you know, any idea how to down, price. Yeah, I'm writing down on post-it notes. I mean, we had you know didn't have work emails. We didn't have anything, and it was just sort of you know we always say we just sort of dove into the deep end and we're just gonna swim in. And uh, fortunately, we're able to just keep going. And um, you know, and uh, it, it sounds like a relatively easy when I just say like, oh, we just did this and then this and then this and this. This is over years and a lot of, you know, uh, hard, a lot of stressful hard moments. work and stressful moments. And I'm sure, sure there were nights where you're like, what are we doing? Is this going to work or pan out? Oh, 100%. Yeah, all the time um, for the first few years, you know, because you know, you're just, and it's tough, you know, you show up at a house, uh, someone sees your work online and you show up at a house and you're 24 years old and they're like, Come again? Yeah. We had one client who actually ended up hiring us said when we showed up and got out of the car that they said, she said to her husband, great, you, you hired high schoolers. <laughs> and, um, and so we had to overcome that, 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 uh, you still look young battle. too. So. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's easier now. I, I joke with my wife, uh, you know, I decided to grow a beard, yeah. <laughs> uh, to try to look a little bit older. And, we hired uh, high schoolers. That's yeah. Right. And so, um, so that was a little bit of a challenge. So I would say, you know, to any young entrepreneurs, and, and my wife wanted to be an entrepreneur. So she was considering going to uh, graduate school to get uh, an MBA and potentially, you know, wanted to be a business owner. That was her goal. And so early on, we talked about why not why spend the money to go to school and spend the money, you know, on our, our company and you'll learn on the job. And that was sort of, and she just picking it on and it's unbelievable and how quickly she picked that up and really was, you know, sort of a jack of all trades and, and you know, it's really tough, as you know, to, to run a business and she just very much so. Yeah, took it on. It's, I mean it's hard to turn it off. A lot of architecture couples are typically both architects mm-hmm. because a lot of people meet in architecture school. Um, and we're a little bit different because she didn't study architecture, she studied English and communication and wanted to run a business. So she she runs the business and I think that's been a really helped us accelerate the, the, the growth. Um, oh, it's a good combo. You have someone opera- operations-minded, yep. someone that's, you know, creative-minded, mm-hmm. you know, you can marry, you know, essentially work-wise, you know, right. you know, with those attributes. Yep. So is, is that where the interior design kind of came in? I mean, it's something, I don't want to say you fell into, but it was almost out of necessity, right, as you're getting yep. these bathrooms and kitchens, so now you're going to start pursuing design, too. For sure. And I think... Um, and uh, Claire always had an interest in interior design as well. When she was growing up, she, she had an interest in interior design. And so she actually does a lot of the interior design. But um, I always was, you know, I worked at some firms, and I was always wondering why, where the line of an architect stopped and an interior designer started. It always sort of baffled me. Um, and, you know, the landscape, that makes a little bit more sense. It's outside the walls. But, like, you know, having someone come in and design the kitchen of the ceiling space. Tri- the ceiling tri- it, it, it's, yeah. it's there's a weird sort of ambiguous line, and so we just from an early time on thought, let's just let's just do it all, um, and invest the time in, in studying up on what we want to do and how we can do that kind of stuff. And it's it makes the whole design thing a lot easier uh, to be able to have your vision all the way through, as opposed to potentially competing visions. Um, that that sometimes I think uh, can be the downfall of certain homes. 
So how has branding and social media, you know, played a role, I guess, in your growth and your brand? Oh, it's been huge. Yeah, if we, if we weren't, if the internet wasn't around when we started, there would have been no way for us to be able to, to grow as a firm, I don't think. Because traditionally, um, right, you had to know people or network in a, in a, in a face-to-face manner, and um, it was sort of an industry of referrals. Um, very few of our projects are referrals. Almost, I would say, 80 to 90% are people completely out of the blue who have found us online or in print uh, publications. Um, and so I think that's sort of a, 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 sort of a difference from the norm. Um, maybe not, but just in terms of the firms that I worked at before I started our firm was, you know, they were basically referral-based. You know, they lived in the town, they knew people, sort of that's how they would get jobs. Ours has been high, high majority on social media and online or print. Um, and so, yeah, we... And uh, especially as your projects get shared nationally, right? Yes. So the footprint, you know, that ripple effect grows even more exponentially. Yeah, getting in print publications and online publications locally and nationally have been, has been huge, and that's where we get most of our clients as well as through, like, Instagram. So what would you tell to someone who's not use, using social media and saying, you know, I don't have time for social media? Well, I don't think it takes a lot of time um, if you do it right. Uh, I, you know, now on Instagram, you can track how often you're on on Instagram. I'm on about 30 minutes a week, and we get a good portion of our jobs through Instagram. So I don't think it takes a lot of time if you're uh, deliberate about what you're doing and you have a, a plan. It's just like anything. You just need a plan for what you're, you're trying to do. Um, and uh, I think if you're not on it, then you probably should be. Um, but, I mean, everyone has their own business model, too. I don't want to necessarily say if something's working for you and you're not on social media, that's great. Yeah. Um, you know, keep doing what you're doing because I think everyone has their own little thing. Um, but uh, if, you're, if you're struggling and you're looking for an, or something and you're not into social media, I think it's definitely something that you should spend the time. Th- that's very good advice because I think what's important for every business is sometimes we want to be everything to everyone, but you should really understand what you're trying to achieve and, and how do you get that. And I think for some people, social media has been a catalyst or like a, a way to, to leap that, right? To mm-hmm. get maybe the projects or the clients or the budgets that they want, right? It's kind of built that in. And you kind of alluded to this. I think the two things for anyone listening, you know, when you're thinking about social media, if you have good content and you bring value, yep. right? Not everything has to be a showstopper, but if you're bringing value or insight and then you have good content, it, you know, it has a life of its own. Right? Yeah. It'll take yeah. off. Certain jobs do better, or certain firms have certain work that does better on social media. The reason that we sort of heavily got into it is when you're doing modern design that's uh, not the norm, that's not what people sort of expect, it's helpful to be able to talk about it with sort of a very casual way. So being able to write a post, post a photo, and write something about it, the, 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 the process behind the, uh, behind the design and why it's that way, people start to understand more what you're doing. Because if you just look at a picture by itself, they might be like, that looks weird, right? That's not what I'm used to. That's not my typical Spanish colonial house, right? Um, And so we sort of look at it as a multiple, multiple year conversation with people about what we do. And people can join at any point, and we get, you know, lots of DMs or or messages on it, and it's just a way to uh, sort of facilitate a very casual way to have a conversation with people over time that people can kind of pop in and out whenever they want. And But what we're trying to do is tell the story behind the designs because with the type of architecture that we do, that's the driving factor. Um, and so uh, people who get it, get it, and uh, those are typically the people who reach out to us. So those are some great points. You know, when you talk about a new business starting out, we get that question too, you know, because from afar, you know, as you follow a company, you think it's always been successful, right? But they don't see... Very similar to us, right? We're doing a bathroom, we're doing a kitchen, you know, a vanity, you, you know, with the aspirations, even though we had the knowledge and capability to do a custom home, right? You have to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, and social media has been a way to kind of go after that. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, Brad, if I'm starting a construction company, you know, what's an easy way to get out there? Well, you alluded to it, right? I mean, if you're a builder, you could start with a remodel or a flip or a spec home, maybe mm-hmm. pull together some investors. And if you can get your sign up, and you can get a good product out there mm-hmm. with a name behind it, which is exactly what you did. I mean, Ranch Wine, you guys buy a house, mm-hmm. you fix it up, and then you're even more ambitious. You're reaching out to get published, right? Yeah. You're reaching out and not just letting it stand, but you're reaching out to try to get that 
that notoriety and then that catapults. And so, you, you know, for anyone listening, I mean, hard work, of course, we understand the term hard work, but you need to be effective, right? Mm-hmm. And social media is a way to do that, marketing, um, promoting, you know, starting with an investment and in, in, in look what's become. And I think that's amazing what you guys have done. I appreciate that. Yeah, hard work is, is a, like you said, I think everyone can work hard. Um, I think it's uh, being specific with how you work um, and having a goal of where you want to go and being okay with incremental improvement over time. I think that's the biggest challenge I see with uh, people slightly younger than myself, um, that they want to be a rock star immediately and they get frustrated when that doesn't happen. They want the big new build. They want you know, thousands of followers on Instagram. They want mm-hmm. all that stuff. Everyone starts from scratch, or most people start from scratch, right? And it's about being okay with, yeah, I'm just doing a bathroom and, and picking out vanities and tile and that sort of stuff. But is there a way to link that to a larger goal that you're having? Each one of those small bathrooms, we try to create a story with. We try to create, do something bigger than this isn't just a place that I use the restroom. This, this is going to be more. And, and, and by creating a, a story that goes along with the vision of where you want to be, 5, 10, 15 years from now, people will start to buy into that story and each thing that you do along the way should help that story. It doesn't need to be something that we don't still show those bathrooms on our websites, but each one of those led to the next one um, because of the, the constant thread that we had going through all the work that we tried to do. And so there's patience, right? I mean, you're alluding to that. I think a lot of us are impatient and want feel like we should be somewhere or maybe it's not so much entitlement, but it's that lack of understanding that it takes time. Yeah. You know, so with, with your company, you know, as there's this, evol- you know, you guys are evolving, right? You're mm-hmm. starting out, you're getting into design, you're building the firm, mm-hmm. projects are coming in. You know, at some point, you need to start putting in systems, contracts, protocol. You know, when did you find was the right time? And then this is a twofold question. When was the, when was the time you did it? And do you feel you should have done that maybe a little bit sooner? Um, contracts we did, we worked on really early just because... Um, I mean, I think people that don't, you're, you're going to set yourself up for, for some financial hardships or potentially you know, lawsuits or a variety of ways if you, know, if you don't have a good contract from, from the beginning. And obviously, ours has evolved over time because every time you do a new project, something new might come Whoops. up. Yep. <laughs> Find, yeah. and you, Find something you missed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and you edit it over time. Um, in terms of uh, putting procedures in place, yeah, I think... Because we were just sort of at this, we had no idea what we were doing, you know, because I think some people, a lot of people who start firms break off from an existing yeah. firm. So they have and some they have precedent. some precedent for what we had, yeah. almost nothing. You know, like I said, I worked for two firms uh, or three firms before. Um, so I had some idea, but at the time when I was working for those firms, I was in college. So you're not really thinking in that way of like, oh, I should be looking at the way that they file their you know, you know, do their systems or how they meet with clients or any of that kind of stuff. So we had to start that all from scratch. But um, so I would say to anyone who's starting a firm, the sooner that you do it, the better. But be flexible with it because some of the ideas that we had about the way that we wanted to organize things changed with the type of jobs and the type of clients that we had. So we had to be relatively flexible with that. Um, And so I would say the earlier the better, but be flexible with and, and sort of constantly uh, critiquing yourself in your business. Don't ever feel like, oh, we're, we're doing great, and uh, let's just keep it keep it this way because the world is evolving around us, and if you stay the same, then you're gonna, probably going to have an issue. Uh, so we're constantly looking at, is there a way that we can refine this, make this better? You know, we're constantly looking at those sort of things and, and self-critiquing and saying, let's, let's tweak this a little bit, let's try this a little bit because um, we don't want to be stale with what we're doing, not just architecture-wise, but business-wise. And I know internally, you know, through trial and error, through different clients, you know, you're going to learn to vet better. You're going to learn to see red flags. You're going to learn, you know, these systems, you know, as you continue to redline them. And you recommend, whether you're an architect or builder or designer or a small business owner, that you're networking with people in your field and out of your field. Have you seen success, you know, networking with others in a similar profession? Maybe non-compete? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think it's always good to, to network with people within the profession. I will say... Uh, a critique that I have largely of at least the architecture profession um, is sometimes it's too insular mm-hmm. and they need to be networking with people outside of your network because architects don't hire other architects typically. So although it's good to have you know friends and, and colleagues in, in those professions, 
we've spent a lot of time trying to get outside of the, the shell of that. It's helpful that Claire's not an architect, so you know, we, we don't have that architect sort of world that you know, everyone, everything around us is architecture. Um, because really what, we love residential design, that's primarily what we do. Um, it's about people, even commercial design, but residential design is, so it's a lot of what we're trying to do is, is we're trying to be about people and, and how do people live. And, and so that's just getting out there and, and seeing you know, how people live, how they interact, being social, those sort of things. That's just always good to do. Well, I, I read an article about you know just building a successful business, and one of the main five points was what you alluded to. It's network with people outside of your industry, right? Mm-hmm. Go to conferences, network with people outside your business to get insight, get other ways of doing business. You know, I relate it to us in construction. It seems we're prehistoric so many times. We do things that are such old methods. It's slow. You know, it feels like a lot of ways you probably can say the same thing as an architect that yep. we haven't evolved, right? right? So why not network with tech companies that are moving fast, you know, computer companies, software companies, and then understand, okay, how can we utilize these thought processes, you know, to better our industry, even yep. though it's labor-driven, right? For sure, yeah. I think, and, and sort of, I think the benefit when we started of not coming from another firm and sort of replicating what they did is we did start from scratch, and so we did look to other industries on how to build a business, how to build contracts, how to build our our vision going forward, and I think that's that's helpful to do is to always be looking outside. Um, and one of the benefits of working in residential design is you get very close with your clients, right? You're essentially married to them for a couple of years, right? Ex- exactly. And usually, those are people who are often successful mm-hmm. in other lines of business. It's a great way to just sit down and chat with someone about their business when saying, like, I'm so fascinated with other people in their lives that those are great ways to learn more about, if you really ask them about their life, their business, their work, you can learn a lot of things that you may be able to work into the way that you run your business, the way you interact with people, because uh, oftentimes these people have had success in a variety of different businesses. Um, It's just a great way to be, you know, we're not, you know, going to an office and only talking to accountants all day, right? We have clients who have a variety of different jobs, you know, they run the gamut. Um, and so you're able to have meaningful conversations with people from all different walks of life, and that's really fascinating and a great way to sort of pull um, to try to make your business a little more unique. Kevin, you've been absolutely incredible. I mean, just for all you listeners, you know, you think about hard work, patience, you know, thinking outside the box, leveraging others, you know, working outside your network. I mean, these are all, this is such great insight. So for our listeners, although we're going to tag you in all of our social media as we post this, um, you know, where can our listeners find you? Um, the best place is Instagram at the Ranch Mine Official. Um, you can find our website is www.theranchmine.com. Um, we're on Facebook and Twitter as well, but we don't really use those as much. But I would say Instagram is where we uh, communicate most with people. Great. Yeah. Well, we'll tag you, and seriously, can't thank you enough for making time today. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to the episode today with Kevin, and we're super excited to announce actually a guest for next week, uh, Luann Nagera, who was referred to us by one of our listeners. So she made that connection. Uh, Luann's going to come on and she is top notch when it comes to design, running a business, being firm and resolute with your systems and cannot wait to release that episode with Luann. So definitely stay tuned for next week.